Hyde Road in South London. Now and again the trams hummed by, but the room was foreign to the trams and to the sound of the London traffic. It was Helena's room for which she was responsible. The walls were of the dead green colour of August foliage. The green carpet with its border of polished floor lay like a square of grass in a setting of black loam. Ceiling and frieze and fireplace were smooth white. There was no other colouring. The furniture, excepting the piano, had a transitory look. Two light wicker armchairs by the fire, the two frail stands of dark polished wood, the couple of flimsy chairs, and the case of books in the recess, all seemed uneasy, as if they might be tossed out to leave the room clear, with its green floor and walls, and its white rim of skirting board serene. On the mantelpiece were white lustres and a small soapstone Buddha from China, grey, impassive, locked in his renunciation. Besides these, two tablets of translucent stone, beautifully clouded with rose and blood, and carved with Chinese symbols. Then a litter of mementos, rock crystals and shells and scraps of seaweed. A stranger entering felt at a loss. He looked at the bare wall spaces of dark green, at the scanty furniture, and was assured of his unwelcome. The only objects of sympathy in the room were the white lamp that glowed on a stand near the wall, and the large, beautiful fern with narrow fronds, which ruffled its cloud of green within the gloom of the window bay. These only, with the fire, seemed friendly. The three candles on the dark piano burned softly, the music fluttered on, but like numbed butterflies, stupidly. Helena played mechanically. She broke the music beneath her bow, so that it came lifeless, very hurting to hear. The young man frowned and pondered. Uneasily, he turned again to the players. The violinist was a girl of twenty-eight, her white dress, high-waisted, swung as she forced the rhythm, determinedly swaying to the time as if her body were the white stroke of a metronome. It made the young man frown as he watched, yet he continued to watch. She had a very strong, vigorous body, her neck, pure white, arched in strength from the fine hollow between her shoulders as she held the violin. The long white lace of her sleeve swung, floated after the bow. Byrne could not see her face, more than the full curve of her cheek. He watched her hair, which at the back was almost of the colour of the soapstone idol, take the candlelight into its vigorous freedom in front and glisten over her forehead. Suddenly Helena broke off the music and dropped her arm in irritable resignation. Louisa looked round from the piano, surprised. Why, she cried, wasn't it all right? Helena laughed wearily. It was all wrong, she answered as she put her violin tenderly to rest. Oh, I'm sorry I did so badly, said Louisa in a huff. She loved Helena passionately. You didn't do badly at all, replied her friend in the same tired, apathetic tone. It was I. When she'd closed the black lid of her violin case, Helena stood a moment as if at a loss. Louisa looked up with eyes full of affection, like a dog that did not dare to move to her beloved. Getting no response, she drooped over the piano. At length Helena looked at her friend, then slowly closed her eyes. The burden of this excessive affection was too much for her. Smiling faintly, she said, as if she were coaxing a child, Play some Chopin, Louisa. 
I shall only do that all wrong like everything else, said the elder plaintively. Louisa was thirty-five. She'd been Helena's friend for years. Play the mazurkas, repeated Helena calmly. Louisa rummaged among music. Helena blew out her violin candle and came to sit down on the side of the fire opposite to burn. The music began. Helena pressed her arms with her hands, musing. They are in flame still, said the young man. She glanced up suddenly, her blue eyes, usually so heavy and tired, lighting up with a small smile. Yes, she answered, and she pushed back her sleeve, revealing a fine, strong arm, which was scarlet on the outer side from shoulder to wrist, like some long, red-burned fruit. The girl laid her cheek on the smarting, soft flesh caressively. "'Tis quite hot, she smiled, again caressing her sun-scalded arm with peculiar joy. "'Funny to see a sunburn like that in midwinter,' he replied, frowning. "'I can't think why it should last all these months. "'Don't you ever put anything on it to heal it?' She smiled at him again, almost pityingly, then put her mouth lovingly on the burn. It comes out every evening like this, she said softly, with curious joy.